Well, as we, uh, as we turn to God's Word this morning, looking back at the book of Philippians, um, the question that I think presses in on us, what do you desire? What does your heart long for? What are the things that give you the most pleasure and joy in life? We are joy-seeking creatures. We, we can't help it. That's, that's just who we are. We run after, we work for whatever we believe will give us the most joy. And that looks different in different people's lives. We have different perspectives on what joy is or how to get there. But we all operate under that same principle, whether we admit it or not, whether we like it or not. Um, Sometimes that presents itself in a life of wild living and other times in a life of strict conservative values, but we're both just simply choosing the path uh, that we think will bring us the most joy. Joy and rejoicing are a common theme throughout the book of Philippians. And uh, most recently, um, looking at uh, Philippians chapter 3, if you remember the week before Easter, um, Paul was defining true faith. What is true Christianity? And it's about rejoicing. What do you take joy in? Turn with me to Philippians 3, if you would. Um, I want you to see this with me. This is, this is the essential foundation um, for what we're going to look at this morning. Um, if you don't have a Bible on you, now's your chance. Go and grab one. Um, Hopefully it's sitting right, right on your bedside table or your morning, uh, morning chair, wherever that is. Um, and uh, again, if you don't have a Bible that's, uh, that you can read easily, um, send us a direct message and uh, we would love to uh, bring you one. We want you to have God's Word in your hands uh, available to you. Looking at... Uh, Chapter 3, these first verses, he commands us, rejoice in the Lord. Take joy in Christ. Let Jesus be the, the object of your desires. A strange command. And he goes on to say that's, that's actually what, what sets true, actual faith apart from the legalists. Those phony religious types that he kind of tore down through the beginning of chapter 3. Those who are all about their own morality, all the good things that they had done, and they're trying to, they're trying to impress God by their perfect lives and, and trying to push those extra rules and laws onto others. And, and Paul says, no. No, the true people of God are not those who do this and do that and, and, and those who impress God by their religious living. He says the true people of God, verse 3, are those who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Those who glory in Christ Jesus. Those who celebrate to have joy and life in Jesus. Christianity is not about what you do. It's about what you love, about what you rejoice in, what your hope is in. Now, that's good news. That is really good news. I hope you feel that. If my position before God depended on me doing all the right things, on me 
my kind of moral performance, I'm in trouble. I'm out. I'm not making it. Actually, the Bible's pretty clear. Neither are you. None of us are. But if, as the gospel says, Jesus came not to, not to validate the righteous, not to, not to pat good people on the back, but rather to take filthy, wretched sinners, the most unworthy of the unworthy, and essentially pay their entrance fee into heaven. Offer full forgiveness for a train-wrecked life. That's something I can get excited about. That's something I can find joy in. And so we can see these two paths that Paul is putting forward in the first portion of chapter 3. Those who who are struggling and striving to be good enough to to do all the right things and their hope, their glory is in themselves. It's in what they accomplish. On the other hand, there are those who are willing to lay that down. Admit that they don't have what it takes. And their glory, their joy then is in what? It's in Jesus. It's, It's not at all about what I have done. It's all about what He has done. They rejoice in the Lord. They glory in Jesus Christ. And, and Paul says that's it. That's true Christianity. It's the one who glories in Christ Jesus. So that's verses 1 to 11. Then 12 to 16 that Josh preached. He started to kind of unpack what it means to glory in Christ Jesus. What does it mean to desire Him to put away the, the legalism and the false hope and, to, and yet to strive after Christ? And verses 17 to 21, we're going to look at today, go to the other side of the issue. Not not warning about those who who abandon Jesus to run after legalism with extra rules, turning to their own goodness, but rather those who abandon Jesus running after the things of the world, trusting in earthly things. Those who can't glory in Christ because they're too busy glorying in all the things of this earth. Let me read this passage for us. Philippians 3, starting in verse 17. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is their destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform your lowly bodies to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself." pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for its truth, that it cuts to our hearts, that it uh, divides truth and error in us in the deepest part of our soul. God, would you be at work this morning? Would you change us by your truth? Would you confront us where we need to be confronted Lord, would you encourage us where we need to be encouraged and strengthen us. Give us hope. Lord, all that we might glory 
in Christ Jesus. All that we might find our joy and our hope and our life in Him. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's look first at the warning that Paul gives here. Um, Paul says, look away from earthly desires. Look away from earthly desires. There are many, many, Paul warns, who walk as enemies of the cross of Christ because they're focused on, they're their rejoicing in their, their earthly desires. He makes four statements about these people. First, he says, in case there was any doubt, um, their end is destruction. He just gets right to it. This is where they're going. The people who fit this definition that he's about to give are not bound for heaven. They're not covered by the cross of Christ. They're enemies of the cross of Christ. Destruction, um, if there was any doubt, is a word that is used throughout the New Testament and by Paul to speak of hell. It's eternal suffering. He uses this uh, in the letter to the Thessalonians, a church just down the street from Philippi. Um, And he says, The enemies of God will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and the glory of His might. Um, This is a serious thing to say. Paul's not playing games here. This This is more than life and death. This is eternity at stake. The consequences are huge. These people that he's describing here, these about to describe, are running down a path headlong toward their own eternal destruction. No wonder he says it with tears. He's, he's heartbroken. The stakes are high. And that ought to call us to wake up. Pay attention. Think about this. Question this. Look at your own heart, your own life. We need to hear this warning. We, we can't afford to, to assume here. We can't afford to be wrong here. They walk as enemies of the cross. Their end is destruction because, number two, because their God is their belly. Now, he's not talking about their stomach specifically, um, literally. He's using this as a metaphor. Their God is their belly. They're, they're ruled by their appetites. Their desires, the physical urges they have control them. It's their God. It's their highest authority. Their physical body has a a desire. It says jump, they jump every time. Their religion, if you will, is satisfying the desires of the flesh. That's the God they serve. Brings us back to that question, what's your greatest desire? What do you long for? What are you thinking right now, this stage of your life, oh, if I could only have more of that, then I would be happy. Then I would be satisfied. Does it fit in the category of the belly, the desires of the body? Is it comfort, wealth, physical pleasure? health and fitness or food and drink. The, the, the list is endless. But these people are running down the path where their own eternal destruction, uh, the desires of the body have become their God. That's their religion. And so with that as their God, their highest good to satisfy their cravings, then, then they glory in their shame. That's their worship. 
Right? That's, that's church for them. Doing what is shameful as they serve their desires. They glory in, they rejoice in what they ought to be ashamed of. They're gluttons, drunkards, porn addicts, those hoarding money or miserly and stingy with what little they have. Again, the the list is endless of how this plays out, but they are wrapped up in things of this world. Ruled by their desires, they glory in what is shameful. And then, number four, all of this because their minds are set on earthly things. They're not focused on the things of God. They don't see their their lives and their their world in in proper reference to who God is and, and in reference to eternity. They just see right here, right now. Earthly things. They're focused on earthly success, earthly comfort, earthly pleasure. It's about the the quick fix, the short-term pleasure, immediate gain. They they don't see beyond the horizon. You can see Paul building this intentional contrast here, pointing back to verse 3 that we started at. The true people of God serve the, the true God by the Spirit. And they glory in Jesus Christ. And they put no confidence in the flesh. These people here, these are the enemies of the cross. They serve the God of their own desires. They glory in their shame and all of their confidence, all of their hope is in the flesh. It's in worldly things. Again, what do you desire? What do you believe will give you joy? And if you're not sure, your actions will tell you. And and many of us will say one thing because it's the right answer, but our lives portray something else. What do you run to when you're discouraged and frustrated? Where do your thoughts go when they wander? Where do you spend your, your free time and your spare cash? What are you most discouraged or hopeless about not having? Is your hope, your joy, your ruling desire in you set on earthly things? Because those who live this way, ruled by that, their end is destruction. It's tragic. And Paul's warning the church in Philippi, look away from the earthly pleasures. And he's talking to the believers, don't get caught up in that. Because there are so many, so many who have fallen into that. Who live this life. Check your own heart. Be on guard. Ask the hard questions of yourself. Be sure. Test yourself to see if you are in the faith. To what degree have I served the desires of my body as if they were God? To what degree is my my hope and my joy wrapped up in the things that this world has to offer and not pointed toward the Lord? That's our first stop. But I think there's also another warning here. Verses 1 to 11. We're clearly warning about false teachers in the church. These legalists were, were traveling teachers who were imposing the, the old Jewish laws onto Christians and And I think that's part of the warning here, again, is is false teachers. 
Just as there were those who, who claimed to represent Christ but brought this message of, of religious works and, and do all the right things, there were also those who were false teachers who, who claimed to represent Christ but preached a gospel, a message that led to worldly pleasure. Sadly, I think we see this today as well. This is what gives birth to, uh, to liberalism. They claim to be seeking Christ but they're seeking after their own desires or the desire to be accepted by the, 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 the ways of this world. And so they're willing to twist and ignore verse after verse of Scripture to put God aside in order to fit in, in order to have comfort and ease in this life, in order to be accepted by the world. They condone sin. They speak approvingly. Of, of the wisdom of this world. And, and so they glory in their shame. Their minds set on earthly things. They, they think not according to the pattern of Christ, not to what God has laid out, but according to the pattern of this world. And they do glory in it. Challenge somebody on it. You'll be looked down on. You'll be called out of touch and small-minded and, and hung up on a dusty old book and taking it too literally. We're the ones who represent Christ, they say, as they condone all kinds of immorality, as they preach a gospel without sin or repentance that does not produce salvation. Their minds are set on earthly things and, and their end is destruction. There's another group that fits this description all too well. It's those who claim Christ, but then would use the gospel, would use God as a means to get to earthly ends, promising if you, if you follow God, you'll have comfort, you'll certainly have health, you'll have all the money that you need, you'll have worldly success. They fit this description those whose God is their belly. Their ultimate goal is earthly comfort, earthly wealth, earthly success. And the fact that they use God's name to get there is worse, not better. They're not serving God by the Spirit. They're trying to use God to, to satisfy the, the cravings of their flesh. Their minds are set on earthly things. Their goal is worldly comfort. And in saying that, they show that the God is not their highest desire. He's just a, a tool to get them to what they actually worship. Look out. These, these are false teachers. They, they use the Bible, but like Satan, they twist it and manipulate it to serve their own purposes. And they will tell you things that you like to hear. They'll make promises to you that, that awaken desires in your heart, things that you want to believe to be true. And they're not always easily spotted. It's not always obvious. But make no mistake, Paul says their end is destruction. This is not just people who are a little bit misguided. It's not just that they're, they aren't the best. They're enemies of the cross. They oppose the gospel. 
The cross calls us to come and die to this world, to to sacrifice our lives, to put to death those earthly desires in order to gain Christ and to, to switch that order. It's to reverse the logic of the gospel itself, to to try to seek after Christ in order to gain earthly things. It's to totally oppose the cross. Look away. Look away from the desires of this world. Watch out for that first in your own heart, but also in those to whom we listen and, and who we read. So Paul's warning, look away from the earthly desires. Don't be enamored by that. Don't be caught up in that. Now let's look at the solution. What's the alternative? John, you just said we all seek after joy, right? We all run after the things that we think will give us the most pleasure. So why on earth should I not be seeking after those things that make me feel good? That's who I am. And the answer is, because there's a greater joy. Because there's something better. A greater pleasure, a bigger and better joy than anything this world has to offer. So the warning is, look away from earthly things. And and, and then he says, live for eternity. Live after eternity. Run for it. Look at verses 20 and 21. 21. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. It's a call to to peel our eyes, to pull the affections of our heart off of the temporary things of this world and to live for eternity. It's one of the biggest misconceptions of Christianity. That that to follow Jesus, to be a Christian, means that you stop seeking joy. Right? That's what Christians are. They're stoic. They're unmoved. they, They have no fun. You give up fun in order to follow Jesus. Following Jesus is some great sacrifice, right? Dead, 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 wrong. Could not be more wrong. I know I've used this quote from C.S. Lewis before, but it's, it's so perfect. He says this, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. Think about that. God's critique of you is not that you have too strong of desires, but too weak. He goes on to explain, We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by an offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. Let that sink in. The man that spends his life running after the pleasures of this world and succeeding looks down at the Christian and says, buddy, you're missing out. And the Christian looks back and says, 
on that? Like, that's it? That's what you have? Millions of dollars and supermodels and houses and cars and, and food, that's it? Oh, you poor deceived soul. You're, you're so easily pleased. You're, you're like a kid satisfied to play in the mud, in the slums. I'm going to an all-inclusive in Tahiti. Like, there's no comparison. Yeah, well, you're missing out on, on what? On the mud? Really? I wouldn't characterize it that way. By the way, how's that working out for you? How's that working? Let me just ask you. As you run after the desires of the world, is it really giving you full lasting joy? Is it really doing everything you hoped it would do? Or, or does it leave you a little empty? Broken? hurting. Seeking joy in the things of this world is is like trying to quench your thirst with seawater. It only makes you more thirsty and in the end it kills you. Because you were made for something more. Paul doesn't use the metaphor of the holiday. He uses the metaphor of citizens. The idea of citizenship um, was a big deal for the Philippians. Um, Philippi is a city in Greece, but Greece was ruled over by the Romans. And and the city of Philippi was a Roman colony. It was an outpost, um, not only of Roman authority, but of Roman culture and and ideals. Um, And so the residents of Philippi, Rome was their native land. They dressed like Romans. They spoke like Romans. They enjoyed special protections from Rome. They even worshipped the emperor of Rome as their savior. They were proud of it. It was a very prestigious thing to be this, this Roman colony. And Paul's using that saying, hey, look, these citizens of Rome, they live like citizens of Rome. You can tell. You can see it. They treasure that. They define their lives by that. But our citizenship as Christians, as followers of Jesus, our citizenship is in heaven. So the reason that we don't live with our minds set on earthly things, making gods out of our earthly desires, chasing after those things, is because we have the promise of hope. We have a promise of something greater. This is not our home. We have a hope of heaven and eternity. So we ought to dress like, speak like, act like, live like citizens of heaven. Like foreigners in our own world, our own countries. It's the opposite of being earthly minded, thinking like the world, valuing the things that the world values, running after mud pie joys that the world runs after. Those who understand heavenly joy should look like foreigners on earth. Yes, putting down the mud pies. Jesus used some of the strongest language. Mark 9, verse 43, he says, If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life 
crippled than with two hands go to hell to the unquenchable fire. If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life lame than with two feet be thrown into hell. If your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes be thrown into hell. So yes, Jesus is not saying literally cut off your hand, cut off your foot, pluck out your eye. Um, But he's saying be ruthless with your sin. About not getting wrapped up in it, not being ruled by sinful pleasures. Hack it off. Make whatever sacrifices you need to make. Well, that's horrible. That doesn't sound like joy. That doesn't sound like a good thing. Well, look at the passage. Why? Why should you cut off your hand and your foot and pull out your eye? Because that would be better. It would be better for you to enter eternity of joy with one hand and one leg and one eye than to go running after the pleasures of this world. It's minuscule short-term loss in exchange for incalculable eternal gain. Why? Well, look. Because we're awaiting a Savior. The Lord Jesus Christ. He's coming back. And when He returns, He will transform our lowly bodies to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. So notice what's going on here. We are awaiting the Savior. Paul is admitting we're waiting. Life in this world, in this in-between time, it's hard. We're waiting, we're longing, we're looking forward for that day. Even those who glory in Christ, whose hearts are set on Him, we're, we're battling against these desires that are in us. Desires that Peter says war against our souls. We're not immune to the love of this world that pull us towards sin, that feeling that maybe, maybe just a couple of mud pies in the meantime, maybe maybe that would help, maybe that would be fun for a while. But we trust Jesus is coming back. I'm I'm looking forward to that. I'm waiting for that day. I've I've got this plane ticket to Tahiti in my hand. And he's powerful enough to pull it off. Right? He's coming back, we're awaiting Him. And He will transform our lowly bodies by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. Remember back in in chapter 2 of Philippians, verses 10 and 11, that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In that day, when He returns to rule, He will make all things right. He'll put all things under himself, be subject to him. That will be the end of sin altogether. That will be the end of all pain and suffering and sorrow because those are just the fallout of sin. That will be the end of all those who walk as enemies of the cross, whose God was their belly, who gloried in their shames, whose minds were set on earthly things. They will go down to eternal destruction. But that same power 
that limitless power that will put an end to sin and death, that will destroy all those who oppose him, that will subject this entire world under Christ, will also be bent toward us. Us who serve God by the Spirit, who who glory in Christ Jesus and, and, and who live as citizens of heaven, it will transform us. So you, you struggle with doubt. You battle against sin constantly. You feel weighed down by the world and the pressures and the temptations here pressing in on you. And your heart is so quickly drawn toward the pleasures of this world. Be encouraged. He will come. He will transform these lowly bodies. He will set us free from that. He is able to save even you. To pull us up out of the mud. Sin will be completely eradicated, wiped away. When we see Jesus as he is, like like darkness in the full light of the sun, there will just be no room left for temptation in that day. There's no way that we'll be tempted by lesser joys when we see Christ. And we'll be given these glorious bodies like the resurrected body of Jesus. Bodies that no longer break down or get sick or tired. Bodies with which we will enjoy eternity in paradise with Him. That's what we're destined for as citizens of heaven. That's our our sure hope, our guaranteed destination. It's His power. Don't get caught up in the the temporary pleasures of this world. Don't don't get to thinking, oh, it's hopeless here. Don't be pulled off course following after those whose whose end is destruction. Look away from the desires of this world. Live for eternity. Then finally, let me point out Paul's advice on how. How do we do this? Well, he says, look at the example. Look at the example. That's where he started um, up in verse 17. He says, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Paul says, Watch me. Follow my example. And again, um, Paul is admitting this is a process, this is a struggle, this is a battle. There's this ongoing war in our hearts, trying to live as citizens of of heaven and and being surrounded by this world, but this is a great help to us. It's it's the example of those who are ahead of us. Paul's not claiming that he's perfect, far from it. Um, Back in verse 12, he, he just said, not that I've already obtained all this or have been made perfect, but I press on. And so he's not saying, I'm the perfect example, follow everything I do. He's saying, I'm seeking after Christ. As he said in in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Follow me as I follow Jesus. Don't don't do everything I do. But but so far as my life reflects Christ, yeah, follow that. And he doesn't limit it just to himself. He says, imitate me and keep your eyes on others who walk according to the example you have in us. 
He's already, even in this letter, pointed us to Timothy and Epaphroditus and their their heavenly-minded service to the Lord. The book of Hebrews directs this toward elders in the church. Hebrews 13, 7, Remember your leaders, those who spoke the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. That's why when Paul gives the qualifications for what an elder must be in in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, he he gives a long list of, of character qualifications. They must be these things. They must live exemplary lives. Lives worth following after because as a church we need those things. Now, none of us as elders are anywhere near perfect or would claim to be. We are far from it, I guarantee you. Um, The other elders listening now are as uncomfortable in this moment as I am. This is awkward. It's a terrifying place to be. This is why James says not many should presume to be teachers because you'll be judged more strictly. This is why elders who fall are to be rebuked publicly. None of us feel comfortable here, but I guarantee you every one of us would say, hey, we're following after Jesus. And if I can help you along the way, if you see reflections of Christ in my life and you can follow me as I follow Christ, welcome to the the party. We're moving forward. Step in line. Let's go. Let's follow together. I want to help. Come with us. Follow us so far as we're following Christ. And, and, and often that means you're going to see sin in us and repentance. And, and, and hopefully that can be a, a, an example as well. We're weak. We're tempted. We all need examples. We need one another as we strive together. It seems to me to be a fairly relevant point uh, in an age of internet. You have right now uh, millions of hours from hundreds of thousands of different preachers um, that are more capable, more interesting, more intelligent than I uh, at your fingertips, right? Without, with almost no effort from where you're sitting. But the reality is we need more than that. We need real partnership. We need examples that we can follow. And, and I don't mean a, a social media profile but people that we can look at and watch personally as we, as we go through trials together and battle with temptation and, and grow in holiness. I'm not saying don't listen to online preachers. Far from it. I have preachers that I listen to a few times a week, and, and uh, there are some great resources out there. Take advantage of that. That's a blessing. But it's not church. Right? It's, it's supplemental. It's a great side dish, but it's not the main course. And we have to keep that in check. Because it lacks this, this life on life, seeing and following the example, meeting together physically as we're commanded to do. Now some of you are way ahead of me. John, you realize you're talking into a camera, right? You realize that we're doing this over internet, right? Yeah. So let me confirm your suspicion. This isn't church. This is not what it's meant to be. This is not all that it should be. Now, I'm thankful for it. So thankful that we have this technology that we can do this. 
that we can continue to, to have this ministry to you as a, as a stopgap measure in a strange and, and hopefully short season. But hear me, this is not the church. And there are movements today of, of online church. Oh, isn't that great? We can just have church online. You can sign in whenever you want from wherever you want and, and it'll be this great. No, no that's not church. There are movements today of these massive networks of these satellite churches, and, and it's lacking. Because church is real, personal, meaningful, eyeball-to-eyeball, life-on-life, meeting together, seeking to grow in Christ together. This is great for the time being, but it's, it's woefully lacking, and I hope you feel that. We ought to feel that. And, and as this pandemic passes and we're able to gather again and, and you find yourself weeks later still going to church, sitting on your couch in your pajamas, something's wrong. That's not okay. We need one another. We need life together. We need examples to follow, people that we, can, that we can actually touch and see and watch and walk with. It's far more than just even a, a formal gathering, right? It's far more than just showing up Sunday morning. We need lives that are connected together, growing together. We need relationships One just beautiful way to do that, I would, I would encourage you, even uh, in the confines of social distancing, I think it would be a great time to start this, um, is the one-to-one Bible reading that, that we've been talking about since, I think, November. It's so simple. It is, it is crazy simple, guys, I'm telling you. Pick a, pick a passage of Scripture, find somebody to read with, and just read it and talk about it. And, and uh, talk to myself or Corey and, and we will um, connect you with somebody or just call somebody up and say, hey, can, can we read the Bible together? And, and we can give you a list of just these kind of simple conversation starter questions as you read a chapter and talk about it. And, and it's amazing what God does as we read his word together and, and talk about what it means in our own lives and how it affects us and ask questions and dig deeper. So simple, but it's growing together, and we, we need that. And listen, if you're, if you're stuck in the mud right now, if you're hearing this and thinking, man, I, I want to glory in Christ, but I just see myself continually falling back into the mud. I see myself continually going back to making a God out of my desires. We want to help you. We want to encourage you. We want to hook you up with somebody that can be an accountability partner for you, an example for you, send us a direct message and we will connect with you. Uh, And and we're going to help you walk through that. If you're struggling in sin, messing around in the mud by yourself, that's part of the problem. You need to let somebody in. You need to confess that sin that you might be healed. We can encourage you and grow with you. Christianity is not a solo sport. 
There's no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian. We're built to be shaped and formed by one another, together, in community. Even this following these examples, it's join in imitating me. It's together. So look away from the earthly desires. Live for eternity. Look at the example of of godly men and women who have gone ahead of you. Let me ask you again as we close, what do you desire? What are you striving after? Where is your greatest joy? Is it wrapped up in the temporary things of this world? Giving in to every beck and call of your physical desires. Are you able to look beyond the mud pies to see the the infinitely greater joy that is in Christ Jesus, a hope that he has called us to, living as citizens of heaven, awaiting the return of our Savior, setting our hope, our joy on that great day to be with him for eternity. Nothing else will satisfy. Nothing else will give you full and lasting joy that your hearts desire. Stop chugging the salt water. It won't do. Be ruthless against your sin. Do whatever you have to take, do to, to cut it out of your life. But most importantly, rejoice in the Lord. Find your joy in Him, glory in Christ Jesus. And He's calling us to an eternity of joy in Him. Let's pray. Father, You know our hearts. You know our weakness. God, you know how easily distracted we are by the shiny objects of this world. Oh, Lord, in your grace, would you work in our hearts? Father, if there's some this morning who are listening who are making a God out of their own desires, glorying in their shame, living with their mindset on earthly things. God, would you, would you give them a vision of something bigger? Lord, would you shine in their hearts with your glory on the face of Jesus Christ that they might see, that they might know what it would mean to have a holiday at the sea, the expense of mud pies. Lord, I pray for those who are just stuck in the mud, who continue to go back, who who hate it and despise it and yet continually find themselves reveling in sin. God, lift their eyes. Encourage them with the hope, the power of Jesus Christ that will one day subject all things to himself uh, is at work in them and will be victorious. God, that they might set their eyes on Christ, be vicious against their sin, against the desires of the flesh that war against their soul. And God, build us. Build us as a church. Lord, that even this time of social isolation would in the end produce a closeness and a fellowship a striving side by side together for the faith of the gospel. 
a camaraderie that runs deep as we confess our sin to one another and spur one another on. Lord, that you might be glorified and that our hearts would be set on you. God, that we would be able to say that we are your people. We are yours who serve you by the Spirit, who glory in Christ Jesus, who put no confidence in the flesh, but live every day as citizens of heaven, our eyes set on that. Lord, we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.